So today is Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving to everyone. We know that not all of our listeners are here in the States, but we are. So we want to wish everyone a happy Thanksgiving, focusing on this holiday based on, well, a lot of incorrect facts. Uh, Listen to last week's episode for more on that. Uh, But you know, today we focus on being grateful and eating an insane amount of food. And this year, 2020, on spreading disease across the nation, just like our forefathers. I'm Candon. And I'm Rebecca. And we are staying in our respective bubbles this Thanksgiving holiday. And we want to talk about the American Indian history of Washington, D.C. We want to go back, like way back before D.C. was the nation's capital, before the nation was, well, I mean, it was still a nation. It's just not the way we think of it today. Rebecca, do you know the first European to see what we call D.C. today? Actually, from my research, I do. <laughs> uh, the first per- European uh, to come to what we now call D.C. was John Smith. Uh, John Smith of Pocahontas fame. Um, he was, we know him associated with Pocahontas, who was part of the Powhatan tribe, which is a very powerful confederation uh, in what's now Virginia, so a little bit further south than the district. And he sort of famously is involved in Jamestown, which is uh, a way south from Washington. Uh, but And we don't really think of him as being associated with Washington, but he totally was. He is going to come up uh, the Potomac River, which had the same name then as it does now. It's based on an Indian name. And he's going to come into contact with the uh, native tribe that was here. Uh, And uh, he does sort of survey the district. Yes, so John Smith, Pocahontas fame. Uh, Not a historically accurate movie, Uh, John Smith did meet Pocahontas, did not run away and get married. She married John Rolfe completely. Another topic for another podcast. So today on Thanksgiving, we want to forget about the pilgrims. We want to talk about the American Indian history of what is today D.C. November is Native American Indian Heritage Month. Uh, So we want to forget about the pilgrims on this Thanksgiving and tell you more about the American Indian history of what is today D.C. We are releasing this episode earlier than usual as a little thankful treat to you, our listeners. We are so thankful for you all for giving us support virtually, financially, giving us an outlet to share our passion that is sharing, that is telling stories of American history. Uh, We want to give a special shout out to our patrons. These are folks who pay anywhere from $3 to $50 a month to get early access, special videos, and our eternal love. So thank you to Teresa, Nina, Kelsey, Susan, Paul, Cheryl, Marcy, Trey, Elizabeth, Lauren, Kaylee, Matilda, Chris, Sally, Rebecca, Molly, Lynn, Sarah, Tanya, Kim, Donald, Jonathan, Carolyn, Nancy, and Catherine. I also want to let you all know that we have new holiday-themed merchandise at our store. Link in the show notes. My personal favorite is a postcard that says, "'Tis the season to be historically accurate." So order those before December 10th, I think. 
uh, to get them in time for the holidays. And now, on to the show. So a couple of things to get started. I want to clarify a technical name issue kind of thing. We have the term American Indian. Uh, This refers to native populations in what is now the lower 48 states. You can bring in Alaska, and then you can use the all-encompassing term Native Americans, though from what I've read, it's not so popular of a term anymore. Uh, Hawaiians, separate race altogether. It's very confusing, uh, American Indian, Native Americans, um, it's very, especially in our self-absorbed kind of, we forget that there are other things that use the term American uh, than just the United States of America. You can also use the word indigenous to refer to tribes, cultures, groups of people uh, that were here pre-colonization. Not a good word to use for an individual. Uh, And native, well, I mean, native can be anything, so it's not really a specific term. But Sitting Bull, the Lakota warrior chief, uh, he said, I was born an Indian and I will die an Indian. So I am going to use the term Indian because he uh, thought that was a good enough term. So if I'm not using the actual name of a tribe, uh, I'm going to use the term Indian. A lot of background information to ward off any politically correct comments. So before the Europeans arrived, the land around D.C., which was abundant with natural resources, it was the home to the Piscataway, the Pamunkey, Nintego, Mataponi, Chickahominy, Monacan, and the Powhatans, all part of the Algonquin-speaking culture that spanned the East Coast. So it would take all of 40 years for the vast majority of the Indians here to be killed by disease or war, sold into slavery, pushed from their land, and forced to join in with other tribes. But if we focus more closely on the immediate D.C. area, like where the two rivers meet, and speaking of, Rebecca, uh, can you name some places or landmarks that we still call by the Indian names? So, yes. Well, the most obvious uh, Native American influence is going to be the Potomac River. Same name then as it is now uh Anacostia the other um surprise that I had when I was doing research for this is the area of Tacoma DC uh, which is sort of the northeastern part uh, of the district right before you get into Maryland which also has a town called Tacoma Park uh Tacoma is originally the name of Mount uh originally it was called Mount Rainier Uh, But it comes from the local tribe, and uh, the name means snow-covered mountain. And uh, Tacoma was renamed by a D.C. resident called Ida Sumi, who believed it to mean high up or near heavens. Right. And just fun fact, because that's what tour guides are here for, you probably know more Algonquin than you think. Raccoon, moose, squash, possum, chipmunk. These are all Algonquin words, so a lot of woodland creatures and food. So Potawomec, that's P-A-T-A-W-O-M-E-C-K. Potawomec is an Indian tribe in the Virginia area. 
Uh, it is where we get the word for the Potomac, P-O-T-O-M-A-C, uh, so the Potomac River. Powatomac is Algonquin for a place where trade happens or place where tributes are brought. So here where the Potomac and Anacostia rivers meet, there were three Indian villages. The first was the Nakashtank. This is the name of the people as well as the name of the village. This is actually where we get the word Anacostia from. So the people of the Nakashtank tribe were known as the Anacostatonic. Uh, that means uh, town of traders. This town would have had about 300 people, 80 of which were fighting men. Uh, if you're familiar with D.C. or want to look it up on a map, it was between Bowling Air Force Base and Anacostia Park. So once the Europeans arrived in the 1600s, the town and its people did not last long, and by the early 1700s, members had merged with other nearby tribes. But let's imagine, this is before that, before the Europeans have arrived, uh, we're going to walk around D.C. in the footsteps of the Indian population. So first, let's head to Capitol Hill. Uh, Capitol, Supreme Court, Library of Congress, they're all gone. Instead, you would have found plots of corn, beans, and squash. Look down across the National Mall, the memorials are all gone. There would have been forests and marshes, no swamps. D.C. was not built on a swamp. This is where the hunting and the fishing would have taken place. And then the next village, the next village was just around the river bend. Sorry, I had to do that. Uh, the second village was kind of where Route 1 and Interstate 395 meet on the Virginia side today. It was called Nemerefquenya, maybe. I wanted to make sure that I was pronouncing this correctly. Uh, and to be honest, still not even remotely sure. I went down a deep rabbit hole trying to find literally any audio recording of someone else saying the name of this village, and I could not. So the consummate historian that I am, I got a book on Algonquin grammar and pronunciation. But in the Algonquin language, there are accents that change the pronunciation of the vowels and all the written records that I'm looking at is just typed on the internet. So I have no idea uh, if it was an A or an A with an accent. And then if you're looking at the spelling of this village name, there are a whole bunch of letters that don't even seem to exist in the Algonquin alphabet, uh, like the letters R, Q, and U. So I looked up at John Smith's 1612 map. Uh, so it has a village written on there. Uh, and, you know, he he was not looking at a, a written label <laughs> of, of the town's name. He was writing down what the people who lived there told him. Um, so I'm sure it was, I guess, phonetically written. Um, but the way it's written today on the Internet, I'm going to spell it. There's going to be a lot of letters. N-A-M-E-R-O-U-G-H-Q-U-N-A. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm just guessing that that would be pronounced Namarafquenya, but on John Smith's map, I think it looks different. Uh, I think it looks like N-A-M-O-R-A-U-G-H-Q-U-A-N-D. So Namarafquand, Namarafquand, um, not, I mean, not that I know how to pronounce either of the spellings and not that I'm convinced either of them are correct, um, 
I wanted to be accurate, so I contacted someone I know who works with uh, Indian relationships in the United States government, and I sent an email to the tribal council for the Biscataway tribe, and neither replied in time um, for me because I needed to record this episode. Uh, so if you, our listeners, happen to know the correct pronunciation of Namorafquenya, Namorafquand, uh, please email us at tourguidetellall at gmail.com. Not that I correct correct this podcast. It is, it's already out there. Um, but for future reference, I would like to know, um, that I'm saying the, saying it correctly. But for the rest of the podcast, I'm just going to say Namarafquenya because that is fun to say and I have no other option. Okay, future Candon, chiming in. I recorded this episode a couple days ago, um, before Thanksgiving, before we headed down to the mill, which is where I am now. If you don't know where the mill is, uh, go back to one of our earlier episodes, Watts Mill. It's a place that I'm restoring. So we're here for Thanksgiving, staying in our respective bubble. Um, not a, not a big gathering or anything, just a change of scenery for my family. Uh, so that is why this sound, uh, sounds different. I'm not in, not in the studio. Uh, but I had this episode all edited and queued up to be, um, to be released tomorrow, today, for you. Uh, but the Biscataway Tribe emailed me back, so I have more information to share with you, and I couldn't uh, let this opportunity uh, go up. Uh, so I had emailed the Biscataway Tribal Council asking them how to pronounce this, and they replied, You have identified one of the many challenges we have with the historic record. The English attempted to write down some of our traditional names based on the phonetic interpretation of the writer. Unfortunately, different writers heard the spoken word, and then their phonetic interpretations are different. Additionally, translating the handwriting from the 1600s uh, has led to multiple errors. From our tribal perspective, the name of the village we believe you're referring to is pronounced Namehokwin. Namehokwin. Uh, so not Namarafquenya or Namarafquend. Namehokwin. Uh, our, and then they continue to say, our traditional language is a descriptive-based language. The word, Name, now I'm going to say it wrong again, the word Namehokwin uh, means a place where we all come together to eat. So this would have been a site where the different families that lived along the Anacostia watershed would have come together on select days for celebrations, ceremonies, and or feast. Uh, so thank you so much. Uh, to the Piscataway tribe for answering my email on how to pronounce this and then providing even more information. Uh, so for the rest of the episode, if I mention this town, I'm going to say it wrong because I recorded that part before I knew. Uh, but you know, you know from now on, it is Namehokwin. Namehokwin is the name of the village where the Pentagon Arlington Cemetery is today. Uh, and it means a place where we all come together to eat. Okay, back to back to past Camden to tell you more. So the third village, uh, if you cross back over the river, uh, just kind of west of where Georgetown is today, the third village was called Tahoga. So, you know, when we walk around D.C., we picture D.C. today. It has all its modern architecture. And then when we talk about D.C. history, we picture red brick colonial style homes from the late 1700s. But there was a there was a history here before that. Uh, Archaeologists have found arrowheads and pottery shards on the White House grounds. Hair combs were found where the Whitehurst Freeway in Georgetown was built. There was an Indian burial ground at 
Bowling Air Force Base. Uh, there were remnants of eight different Indian villages when the George Washington Parkway was built. In 1612, Captain John Smith sailed up the eastern branch of the Potomac River, uh, what we now call the Anacostia, and he noted the Indian villages on his map. So you can find the Kashtank labeled on his map. Um, he also wrote about Namarafquenya. He said it was a village full of long houses made of woven grass mats. Once the European settlers found out about the ample supplies, especially corn, uh, of the Indians, the balance between the various villages and Europeans kept shifting. One tribe would join with the Europeans to find another, and then later alliances would reverse. A few years after Captain Smith, another group of settlers from Jamestown wanted to return. They had been told of Smith's pleasant experience with the Indians here. There were 26 aboard a ship called the Tiger. Now here it very much differs on kind of who, who was writing the story, what version you're going to get. Were the settlers coming in peace and they were ambushed by the Indians? Or were the settlers coming to try to take the corn by force? Either way, every man aboard the Tiger was killed except one. It was a young man named Henry Fleet. He was captured and lived with the Nakashtank for five years, where he would learn their language. He later becomes a trader, and a knowledge of the Algonquin language helps with that. Uh, he returned to the area. In fact, in one of his 1932 journals, he writes the village as Nakastin, N-A-C-O-S-T-I-N-E, Nakastin, which would later be transformed to Anacostine by the Jesuits. So we have Nakashtank to Nakastin to Anacostine to Anacostia. It's kind of the etymology of the name today. A report by a Jesuit priest, Father Andrew Wright, from the mid-17th century says that the Anacostans, which is what he called them, Anacostans had a liberal and ingenuous disposition with an acuteness of sight, smell, and taste. I have no idea what that is supposed to mean, uh, but he does go on to talk about how they have an affinity for a food called pone and hominy. Now, I'll admit, I had to look up what pone is. It's, it's a cornbread. Uh, but hominy, if you don't know, it's like when you take corn kernels uh, and soak them so the hole is removed. Um, it's kind of like wet popcorn. But anyway, Nakashtank's big on corn products. Eventually, in 1668, they moved from that main Nakashtank village on the eastern side of the Anacostia River to a small island in the middle of the Potomac River. It is what we call the Teddy Roosevelt Island. They called it Anacostine Island. And then throughout the 1600s, the tribe numbers kept dwindling, and they would eventually leave this island and find other tribes like the Piscataway. The Piscataway is really a confederation of tribes, still is today, many of whom were pushed out of the capital area in the 1600s and were forced to keep moving until they reached Pennsylvania. <laughs> Essentially, the Indians who called this D.C. area home, the Nakashtanks, no longer exist, beyond those descendants who had left and commingled with the Piscataway tribe. Now keep in mind that all of this, the arrival of John Smith, Jesuits, European settlers started in 1608, and by the 1700s, the Nakashtanks and surrounding tribes have been decimated, forced out of their land. They're clinging to existence by merging into a conglomeration of whoever is left. 
European settlements took hold of the rivers in the early 1600s. Alexandria was then founded in 1749, Georgetown 1751, the federal city was established in 1800, and all this time, the treaties that had been written, they were being broken and ignored, and eventually there were just no Indians left in the nation's capital. In reality, there, I mean, there's actually centuries of indigenous history to this area. This area was settled by Indians millennia ago. They lived in wigwams, another Algonquin word. These would, were semi-permanent domed structures made out of wooden frames that were then covered with grass or reed mats. Their homes were spread out along the river and creeks, so not so much centralized in a village per se, uh, but they were spaced out and there was farmed land between them. Uh, if we were to walk in the Indians' footsteps of what is now D.C., uh, there was a soapstone quarry in what is now Van Ness. Uh, that is where they went to make pipes and bowls. Uh, if you head up to Piney Branch, which is where I live, there is a quarry there to make stone tools and weapons. Uh, tribes as far away as New York, the Iroquois, would come down to trade beaver pelts. So the Indian history, I mean, their history didn't start in 1608 when John Smith arrived. It, they'd been here for thousands of years. But it did start to end that year, and it would take less than 100 years for them to be destroyed. Now, I don't know about you, but when I think about my one goal in life, it always comes down to what I want to be my legacy through my work, through my kids, through my books. Uh, and it's, I mean, it's heartbreaking to me to think that there was an entire community of people, a whole culture, that not only has been wiped away from the earth, but the only legacy of them left, it, do it doesn't even pronounce their name right. So the next time you're in Southeast DC and you hear someone talk about Anacostia, do me a favor and say Nakashtank instead. So yeah, happy Thanksgiving. We killed off a whole bunch of people with disease, fighting over corn, and being greedy about land. <laughs> and 400 years later, not much has changed. So I'm obviously in a snarky mood over this, so I'm going to turn it over to Rebecca uh, to hopefully, in a more upbeat way, talk about how we can learn more about the American Indian history in Washington, D.C. They should be more recognized, quite frankly, but that's not kind of how this goes. They're also, so they would, they seem to have been a, small, a smaller, more regional tribe. They were allied with the Pamunkeys and the Piscataways who do have living descendants. In fact, uh, there are uh, about 4,000 Native Americans uh, who are residents in the district as of uh, right, like 2019 was the last time they, I think, did a survey. Now, as far as uh, Native American uh, influence in the district today, where you can kind of find Native American history, the most obvious, of course, is going to be the National Museum of the American Indian, which is a Smithsonian museum. It's on the National Mall, and it has uh, so many artifacts from native tribes, not just in this region, but across the United States. Tribes that you've heard of, like the Iroquois and the Arapaho, and uh, tribes that we've talked about, Wampanoags and the Abenakis up in the New England area, uh, the Utes in Utah, there are the Kiowas in the center of the uh, country, Paiutes, and all sorts of Native American tribes from all over uh, what's now the United States have representation. And 
uh, artifacts at the museum. Additionally, the museum itself, uh, the outside of it, so if you look up a picture of it, it is a very distinctive tan color and it's rounded. And one of the things that I love to tell people is that there are Native American tribes who believe that bad spirits hide in dark and sharp corners. And so they wanted to eliminate as many sharp corners in the museum as possible to sort of ward off bad spirits. So that's why the museum has that sort of distinctive um, uh, look to it. Another, the, uh, also when, if you go to the National Museum of the American Indian, do not skip the food court. It is outstanding. They use a lot of uh, indigenous cooking techniques and a lot of really cool native food and it's really good. Their menu changes seasonally to sort of adjust to what's coming into season and it's really, I recommend this on my tours all the time. It is not, I will say, it is not the cheapest place to eat, particularly on the National Mall, uh, but it's really good. So if you want better than McDonald's, that's a place to go. Uh, another place that the Native American history sort of hides in a couple of good places. One of them is going to be the Dumbarton Bridge, which I was surprised to learn. Uh, I've walked off the over the Dumbarton Bridge like a thousand times. It's also known as the Q Street Bridge or the Buffalo Bridge because it has massive uh, statues of buffalo on either side. But it also has in between the arches are uh, 56 bus of Chief Kicking Bear, a Sioux leader or Lakota leader uh, and warrior who was part of a Native American delegation to the capital in 1896. Theodore Roosevelt Island is also a great um, Native American spot. It used to be called Anna Lostin Island and was a home for Native Americans that were freeing, uh, fleeing the invading Europeans. Uh, so this is going to be, uh, it was very, it was isolated. So it was a good spot to sort of hide out while the uh, Europeans were sort of marauding in the land. Uh, there's also, uh, as any decent tour guide knows, uh, another stop. Yeah, it's not quite in DC. It's actually just over the bridge in Virginia. But I would be remiss in not mentioning the Iwo Jima Memorial, the Marine Corps Memorial. Uh, one of the six men to lift up the flag at Iwo Jima uh, was a Pima Indian. Uh, his name is Ira Hayes. Uh, he was born on an Indian reservation, Native American reservation in Arizona. And he is buried at Arlington National Cemetery, which is right next door. Uh, there is a, um, a last place that when I was looking this up, uh, a last place I wanted to mention was there's a, the a Bureau of Indian Affairs uh, in Washington, D.C. was occupied in 1972. Uh, to pro by Native Americans to protest the treaties that the U.S. has made with various Native American tribes uh, for centuries and broken literally every single one of them. Uh, so that's a spot to mention as well. Um, as you uh, around DC. And the last place that I will mention has just opened up uh, on Veterans Day. So November 11th, 2020, the Na National Native American Veterans Memorial was dedicated on the National Mall. 
honoring more than 31,000 Native Americans, Native Hawaiians, and Alaska Natives serving on active duty in the United States, as well as 140,000 Indigenous veterans who have offered their lives to protect this country. So uh, this is uh, a really sort of long overdue addition to uh, our war memorials uh, is to honor the Native Americans who have taken part and taken up arms uh, to serve the United States. So that's worth mentioning too. It's going to be very, very close to uh, the National Museum of the American Indian, which is what I kind of started with. I also want to uh, ask a trivia question, Candon. Do you know, do you have a guess as to the city in the United States that has the most Native American, highest Native American population? Well, I know it's not D.C. It's not D.C. Okay. Uh, number one, believe it or not, and this like stunned me, but number the number one city for Native American population today is New York, New York. Fascinating to me. Uh, number two is Los Angeles, probably just because they're the most populous cities. It would stand to reason they've got a lot of um, all kinds of people. Uh, Phoenix, Arizona, Oklahoma City, and number five is Anchorage, Alaska, which makes complete sense. Uh, so that is uh, sort of my little... Uh, trivia fact for you. Um, and that's kind of uh, where we are as far as uh, Native native influence uh, in the district. It's really, there's so much, you can, there's websites actually now they just came out with, I think, an app that you can look up what land you're standing on. Go, it goes all the way across the country and who, before the um, uh, Europeans came, who occupied the land that you're on. So it's a really fascinating uh, app to sort of get an idea of who belong, who's, what land this belongs to, who this uh, all belongs to. To be fair, I am n- of not even remotely close to Indian descent. Um, so I don't want to speak for them as a people. Um, but I believe that they would not say that the land belonged to them, that the land belonged to everyone. Uh, but that is beside the point. Uh, there is a there is an app. Um, there's actually a phone number you can text here. Hold on, let me find it. Uh, so if you because this is the world we live in, if you text one nine zero seven three one two five zero eight five and type in your city, uh, it will respond back and tell you um, whose land. You are on. Uh, so I just texted Washington, D.C., and it replied, in Washington, District of Columbia, you are on Natashtank, and then in parentheses, Anacostan, and Piscataway land. Um, so that's a great way to figure out wherever you are listening to this from, assuming that you are here in the United States. Uh, you can text this number again, 907-312-5085. I'll put it in the show notes as well um, with the city that you are in, and uh, it will reply back with the uh, um, what land you are on. So there's not a lot of specific history of the Natashtank tribe that we could share with you other than the very few written sources that we have um, in English because that is the language I speak. I do not speak Algonquin. Uh, and oral tradition is kind of how Indian history is passed down and there is not a lot or any <laughs> Um, oral history from the Natashtank tribe since they don't exist anymore. Um, But I guess the purpose of this podcast episode today uh, was to at least bring to everyone's attention and to share the story that they existed at all. 
uh, before D.C. was the capital, uh, before it was uh, plantations and uh, a colony of England, before European settlers arrived, there was a thriving community and tribe of Indians called the Naktashtank living here on the Potawatomi River. And we don't want to forget about them. This is Tour Guide Tell All, brought to you by the guides of Free Tours by Foot in Washington, D.C. Snarky anger over forgotten peoples aside, we really do wish you all a happy Thanksgiving. Enjoy the food, maybe make some poem or hominy in honor of the Nakashtanks, especially if you're listening to this in Southeast D.C. right now. Help us spread the indigenous, Native American, American Indian history of D.C. and share this episode. Give us a review on whatever podcast platform you're listening to. Subscribe to our podcast. If you want your name included on a future episode or any of the other perks, become a patron and check out our holiday merch in our store. I'm Candon Arseniega, and today I was joined by Rebecca Fackner. Along with Becca Grawl and Dan King, we do all the research, writing, editing, and production. This is Tour Guide Tell All. Until next time. <laughs>